I hate the term ransomware. I think ransomware is a completely uh, overused and, and underdefined concept that we, that we use to describe all kinds of things that are sort of loosely, um, loosely related. Hello and welcome to Fishy Business, a series dedicated to exploring the lesser known side of cybersecurity. I'm Alice. And I'm Brian and we're colleagues with Mimecast. Every episode will be joined by a special visitor who is definitely not your average guest to share tales of risk, reward and ridiculousness. <laughs> we'll be looking for new ways to think about cybersecurity to learn how we can all improve in the fight to stay safe. So Alice, we love an acronym at Mimecast and indeed in the wider industry. So pop quiz time. What does CVE stand for? Ooh, um, oh, you've got me here, Brian. Maybe something to do with vulnerabilities? Yeah, you're nearly there. It stands for common vulnerabilities and exposures. And, and I guess a good way to describe it, it's a sort of repository that classifies vulnerabilities. And we're diving into the world of threat research today in this episode with our guest, Charles van der Waltz, uh, Head of Security at Orange Cyber Defense. I'm really looking forward to this episode because I think I'm going to learn a lot. So thank you very much, Charles, for joining us. And we can't wait to get stuck in. Hello, and uh, thank you for having me. Well, it sounds like you're kind of a, a Sherlock Holmes, if I can say that. But we'd maybe taking a bit of a step back, let's say, for example, you're meeting some new people at a dinner party. How would you explain to them what you do as a as a job, as a profession, for example? Well, what I do at a dinner party is mostly to have dinner. Um, <laughs> I, I like to feel I've mastered the, the basic art of the knife and fork. Um, but, if, but if they're bored enough to ask me what I do professionally, um, you know, that's, it's, it's become quite tricky, actually. I, there was a time in my career where I was a professional hacker, and that was always a, you know, an easy conversation starter. Everyone liked to ooh and, and ah about, about that. Um, but now I think what I, what I try and explain to people is that my job is to ask and answer the important questions around security for, uh, for Orange. Okay, I think that's a, a good place to start. Um, and let's get a little bit beyond the basics then. So your company, Orange, has done extensive research into all kinds of aspects of cybersecurity, but specifically ransomware, if you if you look into it. And, and before we go into that, let's maybe start with uh, your definition of ransomware, because it's kind of evolving a bit, isn't it? Um, what is ransomware in your view? And, and how is it different from other forms of sort of uh, cyber incidents and cyber attacks that, uh, that people experience? So I, I love this question about ransomware, because I hate the term ransomware. I think Ransomware is a completely uh, overused and, and underdefined concept that we, that we use to describe all kinds of things that are sort of loosely, um, loosely related. So technically, ransomware is a form of malware, right? It's a, it's a kind of Trojan or virus um, that is used to infect a computer and then encrypt the data on that computer. Um, but what we're dealing with today is really not a problem of malware. It's the problem of a massively industrialized, highly profitable, uh, well-organized cybercrime that, that we prefer to refer to as cyber extortion. And uh, one of my hobby horses over the last year or so is, is to try and get people to use that term, cyber extortion or CyEx, 
Um, so I'm offering free coffee to anyone who publicly uses the phrase cyber extortion. Um, and how we define cyber extortion is as a series of crimes in which something in which a security is breached and by security we mean confidentiality integrity or availability uh, security is breached and then something of value is taken from the victim and held to ransom now that is still overwhelmingly uh, the something that's taken is access to their data in, in that the encryption is performed. Um, but it also incre increasingly includes or, or almost uh, overwhelmingly includes confidentiality in that the clear text data is stolen and then uh, there's this threat of leaking it onto the internet. Uh, but it can also involve other things like denial of service or a threat of denial of service. So really the key component is that the victim has something of value the, the criminal through this um, very complex and sophisticated um, criminal infrastructure takes that something of value and then extorts the victim to get that something of value back. And so through the work that you've done, I can imagine, you know, say for example, I've, I took a cybersecurity course, uh, a very basic one before I joined Mimecast and it was talking about looking into how do you classify value and sometimes I think that can often be quite hard for people to um maybe go far enough if we can say you mm. know they might have their initial thoughts on on immediate things but um really that protection what have you seen in seen in your space and, and working with the companies that that you've seen well I, th I think that's a really important question and I think it's something that's that's somewhat misunderstood in the uh, sort of in the broader sphere so that something of value firstly needs to be seen either from the perspective of the criminal or from the perspective of the victim and it may not be the same so for the criminal typically something of value would be uh, you know personal information credit card numbers email addresses passwords things like that that can then be further exploited um, you know for spam for building botnets for uh, you know, financial fraud, etc. It could also be uh, proprietary information, you know, formulas, recipes, those sorts of uh, those sorts of things. And that's typically how we tend to think of value. But the way for a business to understand value in the context of cyber extortion is to ask themselves, what is it that we can't do without? What is it that if we didn't have access to this system, didn't have access to this data, didn't have access to this interface, our business would store. And, and if I may, I'll give you a, a really interesting example. Uh, your, your listeners may have heard of the you know, now infamous Colonial Pipeline incident in the, in the USA. Colonial Pipeline, this big um, uh, oil pipeline, I guess, running up the east coast of America. And uh, they provided you know, a significant portion of uh, America's oil and gas needs up that, up that part of the country. And they were compromised um, in a cyber extortion attack which uh, affected their IT systems, not their industrial systems, not their pipelines, not their pumps, things like that. Those were all fine. Uh, just their IT systems were compromised. And Colonial Pipeline then took the decision to stop shipping because they couldn't issue invoices. It was the, it was the ability to issue invoices that, um, that scuttled them. So you, know, you, think of the, you think of the value maybe in the pipeline or in the oil or in the industrial control systems, but really what's critical to their business is to be able to get cash in. And when that's affected, 
they've now lost something of value. Now, to the criminal, that had no value at all. You know, the, the, whether Colonial Pipeline could or couldn't issue invoices was immaterial to them. But Colonial Pipeline needed it and was therefore willing to and literally forced to engage with them. And it's funny, I think you raise a really important point there, actually, because, um, you know, back in the day when I was I was working with my customers, for example, and we'd be going through, um, say, for example, protecting themselves against phishing and impersonation attacks and and who would potentially be targeted. And initially you think about, say, the finance people, but actually we're also starting to say, well, your IT people are also very integral into making sure that they are well protected, because to, exactly to your point, if somebody starts to gain access to your IT systems, actually that could be of huge value to you and I think you know we see that phishing and impersonation attacks are, are still very common tools that are being used by threat actors to gain access to things like login credentials or getting people to transfer money for example but in terms of the ransomware side of things what do you think makes ransomware still such a big issue in cybersecurity or cyber extortion and um, to your point yeah, that's also a very good question and a favorite topic of mine. Um, so one of the ways m my team has looked at that question, which I think is one of the sort of pressing cybersecurity questions of the day, is by applying traditional models of crime to the cybercrime of extortion. And as it turns out, criminology is this you know, massive body of knowledge and a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about why does crime happen. And one particular theory, which dates back to the mid 70s, actually, basically says, look, there's three components. You need a motivated offender, you need a suitable victim, and you need um, what they call the lack of a guardian. In other words, there's, a, there's nobody or nothing standing in the, in the breach. And why cyber extortion continues to work is because literally all three of those elements are present and are embedded in a very like systemic way they're not superficially present they're quite fundamentally present so the offender is making literally trillions of dollars out of uh, out of this form of crime and they're situated mostly in uh, countries where they enjoy a kind of uh, criminal immunity so there's there's no way to reach them by law enforcement they get very rich their ecosystems get very rich um, and so they are embedded then they're, they're not going uh, they're not going anywhere they're enabled of course by um, modern payment systems like uh, cryptocurrency networks that allow them to move money in and out of the country without that being disrupted. So, you know, that's in place for them. Um, then the, the, the victim is, can literally be any business that has IT assets that are of value to them. So literally every business in the world is a target. And if you look at the statistics, you'll see the vast majority are small businesses, tiny shops that um, wouldn't even think of themselves as IT companies, but as soon as their computers aren't working, they can't, uh, they can't operate. So there's no end of, uh, of suitable victims. That's the second pillar. And then the third pillar is that um, from a guardianship point of view, we just continue to fail. We can't solve the problem with technical stop gaps. The, the target surface is simply too, uh, too big. And uh, the other mechanisms that would be required, uh, for example, from a regulatory or a law enforcement point of view, um, are really struggling to scale to a crime that's uh, so global in nature. Okay, so as a cybersecurity researcher, what do you uh, decide to focus on? You know, obviously, we've spoken about um, cyber extortion, uh, aka ransomware. 
Um, but there's a huge amount of other aspects to to all kinds of, of cyber attacks. I mean, you've given mm. us a sort of a taste of it with, with the kind of models you use, but maybe if you could break that down for us a bit. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, the, the, I, I think the, the most important attribute of a, of a good researcher is to be curious. And so you, you've sort of put your finger on the, on the most important question, which is what are the questions that we want to, to focus on? Um, and we've got a bit of an ethos. We, we want to focus on questions that are fundamentally important. So we, you know, we avoid, uh, for example, what's sort of referred to in the industry as stunt hacking. You know, we're not interested in demonstrating that your baby's remote controlled pram can be hacked or something. You know, that's, we don't think that's fundamentally important. So we want to focus on issues that are fundamentally important. Uh, we want to focus on questions where we can um, significantly move the, the understanding of the problem forward. You know, in other words, we don't repeat what other people have done or add noise into the equation. Um, and then we want to focus on areas where we can be authentic. In other words, where we can be an authentic voice, where we can know something um, that maybe it would be hard for other people to know. Um, and so what you end up focusing on is uh, a convergence of those things. So what are the big problems? And that's why, for example, uh, cyber extortion keeps bubbling up because it is just still, you know, eating us for, for breakfast. And then the perspectives that we apply are to use what we have, which is authentically ours. So our unique expertise, our unique data sets, our unique capabilities um, to areas of the problem that aren't yet well under understood. So it feels like your work encompasses a lot of different sectors, also including, say, the wider geopolitical context. And, and there's lots, obviously, at the moment that's happening in the news that we're seeing. Would you be able to talk us through and talk our listeners through how you deal with that and what the impact that has on your work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, thank you for a, for a very generous question. Um, so we are firmly of the belief, both within my team and within Orange, that um, the cybersecurity problem is, is multi-domain and emerges from a, uh, from a set of uh, systemic drivers, if you like, of which uh, technology and technology flaws is only a very small part. Um, and so in order to understand the problem as it manifests today, you really have to zoom out and look at the broader context, um, including things like, you know, what are the incentives and drivers that create the technology problems that, um, that we have? What are the, uh, what are the regulatory um, factors that um, incentivize or disincentivize some of the behaviors we see? What are the other enabling factors like, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, cryptocurrencies has been a massive game changer in the form of cybercrime that we experience um, because it creates a pathway for, you know, illicit funds to, to flow. Um, and then there's a, a factor which I think is what you're touching on, which we refer to as government ambivalence regarding cybersecurity. Because <clears throat> the fundamental issue that we, we think drives a lot of these problems is that governments are trying to achieve two things at the same time. The one is that they want to secure their own digital systems and create um, digital environments where their own businesses and administrations and, and agencies can operate safely and securely. 
The other is that they want to exploit vulnerabilities in technology for other political gains, you know, whether that's to get a trade advantage, collect um, military intelligence, uh, chase down political adversaries, whatever the, whatever the case may be. And so those two drivers um, exist in tension with each other. And so far, we haven't been able to resolve them, I think, in a, in a satisfying way. Um, and so what it means is that, for example, governments invest in ecosystems that find and exploit vulnerabilities because they want them. And because they're investing in those ecosystems, you know, that creates money and energy for um, research into hacking and hacking tools. Entire, you know, uh, sub-economies spring up uh, in order to build the, the, exactly the kinds of tools and capabilities that, on the other hand, governments are trying to um, protect their own uh, environments from. Um, and so we see we see the, the the result of that ambivalence at a number of levels. Uh, for example, phone hacking technologies, which governments want to use to to track down political dissidents, uh, high profile criminals, political adversaries, um, etc. So that's a that's another form. You see it in the in the literally continuous and ongoing efforts by governments to collect intelligence from each other. Um, you see it, I, I think. In a way that we still haven't fully comprehended. I mean, that is a that is just a, a mind blowing uh, outcome that that literally emerged out of the you know the cybersecurity problem. But then generally, you see it also in in what we describe as kind of an inflating of the balloon. So if you know if your average business has a has a problem that's this big in terms of cybersecurity, what these government investments are doing is they're they're just blowing air into it, and the problem just becomes generally bigger and, uh, and, and bigger. So, so geopolitics um, at almost every level is, is impacting the problem for us. Let's change gears slightly. I know you kind of look down on stunt hacking and uh, I, I certainly, uh, certainly do too. It's something I've tried to avoid. We did a bit of that way back in the day and we sort of tried to phase that out um, for, for the very good reason that, you know, you can, um, you know, that mom and pop shop you talk about can get taken out by a very mundane, very unsophisticated type of attack. Um, but maybe let's, let's not talk stunt hacking so much as maybe just some very interesting changes because the way we see... Um, it's a massive oversimplification again, but we, we see a sort of high volume of low sophisticated attacks that are targeted at the, the less sophisticated kind of um, end users, let's say. Um, but we also see a low volume of very sort of highly sophisticated attacks at some larger enterprises, obviously because they have some, you know, something of value, which is potentially worth the, the you know, the return on investment in, in that effort. Um, with that in mind, what what kind of trends are you seeing in in your security operations center and your research? What are the sort of things that are interesting um, that, that kind of stand out for you? Yeah, and look, I think I think you put your finger on it um, as far as the nature of attacks is concerned, because um, we see two, I guess, divergent trends. The one is, as you say, there is. Um, a real surge of incredibly sophisticated uh, offensive capabilities and not just technical complexity, but operational complexity, um, levels of organization, longevity, you know, attacks that that run over months or even years. Um, and, and frankly, just a kind of gumption 
what's been maybe the the best or most effective ways you found to communicate this um to audiences but potentially also in conjunction with that to actually get them to take action as well i almost wish you hadn't asked me that question um because <laughs> i i think that communicating the scale the scope um, of the problem and communicating a rational response is something that we as an industry have wholly failed at. Um, and it starts at the, at the very, very most basic level. You know, if, if a business comes to us because we told them about the cybrics, and I'm speaking, you know, on behalf of, of my business, but just as the industry also, if we, you know, if we effectively get them concerned about the cyber extortion threat, uh, and they ask us for some recommendations and we say, well, you know, we think you need to upgrade your endpoint protection or your email security, and that's going to cost you a million euros. And then after spending that million euros, they say to us, well, now that we've spent the million euros, how much more secure are we? You know, what is the, what is the decrease in probability that we've bought for that million euros? We can't answer that question. We, we, we cannot, um, align, you know, spend with uh, outcomes in any meaningful, in any meaningful way. And I think that's really prob problematic. And I think part of the problem is that uh, so much of the messaging with respect to your business and to mine, uh, so much of the messaging comes from people like us, who, who in the end are selling umbrellas, you know, not trying to uh, fix roofs. Um, so I, I I think a big part of the problem is that the, the, the flow of the messaging needs to change. You know, I, th I think there should be more conversations with governments, more conversations with vendors, more conversations with communities of stakeholders, business councils, industries, etc. Um, and more leadership emerging from those domains than um, from the kind of hamster wheel of uh, threat and response, threat and response that keeps our businesses um, going in various talks you post on the internet you often mention the work communities can do to prevent all kinds of attacks including um ransomware and, and extortion type uh, attacks uh, i believe you call this an ecosystem based sort of security you know could you maybe explain a bit to us how this works and, and how uh, organizations um, and countries could actually benefit from this approach uh there needs to be a shift in the the, the locus the center the base of power um, from vendors and governments to the affected communities. Um, and that affected communities should be taking the lead in uh, describing the problem, but perhaps even more importantly, imagining the kind of environment that they want to operate in and then um, expressing their demands and desires as far as that's uh, concerned. And I think, I think there are several reasons for that, but I'll, I'll offer you just two. Um, the, the first is the point we've just been talking about. The, the messaging by and large is being driven by vendors. And what vendors do, I, I think mostly in an altruistic way, is that they become aware of an element of the problem. They then evolve a solution for that element of the problem. And then they advocate around that problem and its, and its solution. Um, and that's that's fine because those problems generally do need uh, solutions, but what it does is it prevents us from zooming out and looking holistically at the at the situation, right? So they're having discussions with you guys about email security. They're having discussions with us about EDR, 
Um, but they're not having a discussion with anyone about the kind of digital environment that their businesses need to, to operate in. The other reason for that is that, um, as, as I mentioned, you know, I think the security problem is global um, and, it, and it has, it emerges out of this web of dependencies that we, we have. So today you'll hear a lot of people talking about supply chain risk, and I think that's, that's right and appropriate. But even the term supply chain suggests that there's a sort of linear connection downward, you know, from a provider to a supplier and that, uh, sorry, from a provider to a consumer and that the consumer needs to be uh, sure that the provider has got appropriate security. But that's not realistically how it works. How it works is that businesses, governments, service providers, uh, telcos, etc., they, they exist in this like complex web of dependency where everyone's security depends on everyone else's security. And by, by having the discussion one-on-one -on -one with businesses about their own security, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're ignoring that, um, that element. And that's why I think ecosystem security is so important. Um, and the third is that I believe that from our research into, um, into crime and crime theory, there's a very strong argument to be made that there is an essential role to be played by communities in protecting themselves. Those researchers um, from the 70s cited a study, for example, about crime in suburban America increasing in the post-war era, you know, sort of in the, in the baby boomer period. Um, and uh, they were very confused because um, theory at the time suggested that when people are well off, there should be less crime. Uh, and in fact, what happened is at the time was crime was increasing. And one of the factors that they attributed that to was that during the war, women had been introduced into the workplace. And so houses were standing empty, neighborhoods were empty during the, the day. And, the, and the, the, just the simple fact of um, a lack of people in communities was creating an environment where, um, you know, where crime could occur. And so one of the questions I'm very interested in is, is how do we create communities in cyberspace? You know, what does that even look like? What are our neighborhoods and how do we, how do we get uh, similarly impacted and similarly interested people into those communities to kind of keep an eye open for each other? I love that answer. And I'm sure there's a, a huge amount more to talk about. And, and as usual, time's just flown. Um, so, Charles, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with us today. We're definitely going to need to have you back to dive into this. There's so many other questions I'd love to ask you about uh, compliance versus security. Uh, dig into a little bit more about vendors and vendor marketing and what your views are on that. But we, we're not going to be able to cover that today. But what we always do is we like to end our episodes by asking our guests three simple questions. So, Charles, maybe to start with, looking back over your career, what would be the one insight that you'd wish you'd learned sooner or that you could go back and tell your younger self? Um, I wish that I had looked at broader domains sooner um, you know I, I think there is there is a wealth of knowledge and experience and insight to be gained from domains like um, immunology healthcare economics psychology um, uh, you know sus sustainability etc etc and I think that we could have understood our space 
much better and much more quickly um, if we hadn't been so, you know, focused on just the, the sort of technical aspects of what is a vulnerability and uh, what is an exploit. That's really interesting. Thank you. And, and I think leading in from that, um, hopefully you're going to tell us, uh, you know, what you're reading or listening to at the moment. Uh, anything you'd like to recommend for our listeners, maybe that's slightly outside of the cyber domain, but you're welcome to throw in something that's inside as well. Yeah, I'm not sure I would, rec <laughs> not sure I would recommend these books, <laughs> um, but I'm reading two books on a kind of related theme um, at, at the moment. The one is um, A Journey Through Complexity. Uh, which is a which is a study of the science of complexity, um, which is which is a bit of hard work, um, but is is fascinating because uh, you know complexity is this emergent field that I think people are recognizing all over, and I suspect uh, that there's a place for understanding complexity theory in the cybersecurity space, uh, and I'm very keen to uh, to to apply that in in our thinking and our research. Um, and of course, a key part of that has got to do with network theory. So exactly this point about uh, webs of interdependency that um, you know create unexpected outcomes is a key part of complexity science. Um, and so the other book I'm reading is called Scale, um, and it's a study of uh, of network theory um, and the notion that there are fundamental, um, almost physical constraints around networks that shape. Uh, almost everything we see in the world, you know, from the, 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 the age a business can get to, to the size a tree can grow to, to uh, how long a human is going to live, they're all, con they're all constrained, they're all shaped by the same um, fundamental physical properties of, uh, of networks. And again, I, I feel like that, that's something that um, is going to be pertinent for our space also. And I can imagine that must be quite a, an eye-opener, maybe a, a bit of a light bulb moment reading through that book. <laughs> it, it, it really is. You, you have to read it two or three times, but if, if you do that, then uh, yeah, the lights do start to go on. Definitely. It sounds good. And it's funny because my next question is around looking into the future. And, and through our discussion today, if I were to make a prediction on the future, I could really see you um, doing a kind of cyber version of the book Freakonomics, because uh, I can see that you're really into, into trends. And, you know, as you mentioned a few times there around 1970s and then what's happened since then. And, and Freakonomics has a, a similar view, but on, on kind of economics and, and crime in the physical space. But I can see you doing something similar for cyber. So I'll definitely be watching <laughs> what you'll <laughs> be my one reader oh i'm sure you would or have two readers many. you and my mom <laughs> yeah my mom is our our podcast biggest fan so i can definitely relate to that <laughs> so maybe this time next year where do you think we'll be and, and what trends do you think we'll be spotting in the cyber threat space um i suspect we're going to see uh, much more of the the same so I think we'll still be talking about uh, cyber extortion. We'll still be talking about business email compromise. Um, I think we're going to be talking a lot about small businesses um, and how we how we support this, the businesses that can't afford, you know, um, industrial scale security budgets. Um, I think we're going to be talking a lot about regulation and cyber norms um, and exactly these sort of government efforts to to make some sense of all of this and uh, and create an environment that we can that we can operate in 
Um, I'm hoping we will be talking more about communities and, um, and sort of a global response. And I think there is, um, there, there are discussions about, about that. Um, and then of course, we'll be talking about AI. Um, I think, you know, everyone's been expecting AI to happen and then it happened, you know, um, much faster and I think much more um, dramatically than, than any of us uh, expected. So I think that's going to be a, that's going to be a big theme. Um, and then of course, some of the other emergent technologies, I think will start to feature, um, of course, a big theme is around operational technology and, you know, how factories run and how cars are steered and all of those sorts of uh, technology elements, I think are going to become uh, much more of a much more of a topic. And Shal, finally, where can our listeners learn more about about you potentially and uh, about uh, Orange Cyber Defense? Yeah, thank you. So um, Orange Cyber Defense, one can uh, can Google it's uh, cyber defense with an S uh, for some reason. Uh, and our URL is orangecyberdefense.com. Uh, and there's a there's a blog section and a, you know a, it's called insights where most of our work is is published or referenced um or find me on linkedin i'm shawl van der Valt, uh or on twitter uh shawl vd Valt. that's w-a-l-t Valt. Well, thank you so much, Al, for, for speaking with us today. And I can definitely speak on behalf of Brian and I that we've really, really enjoyed our discussion. And thank you so much for, for going through our questions in such fantastic detail. I, I know I've definitely learned a lot and I think our listeners will feel the same. And thank you so much to all of our listeners for joining us on this week's Fishy Business. It's really been a pleasure to have you with us. If you have enjoyed our podcast today, please do leave us a review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're hearing this. And feel free to follow us on our Twitter page at Mimecast if you'd like to learn more about what we discussed. Until next time.